IEEE-SA Voice shares insights and perspectives from the IEEE-SA community, subject matter experts, and industry leaders that are working to raise the world's standards, drive market solutions, and much more, keeping you at the forefront of technological innovation for the benefit of humanity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the IEEE-SA Rethink Health podcast series. I'm your host, Maria Palombini, Director of the Healthcare and Life Sciences Global Practice here at the IEEE Standards Association. This podcast series takes industry stakeholders, the technologists, the researchers, clinicians, regulators, and more from around the globe to task. We ask them, how can we rethink the approach to healthcare with the responsible use of new technologies and applications that can afford more security, protection, and sustainable, equitable access to quality care for all individuals? We are currently in season four, but you can check out our previous seasons on ieesa.io backslash health podcast. So we all know as a result of the recent pandemic, the term telehealth frequently used and it does not appear to be going away soon. The reality is that the way we see telehealth today will look very different tomorrow. And it's manifesting in many different forms. It's more than what we commonly see or think as a doctor-patient exchange on some sort of audio or video platform. We look at innovations in RPM, remote patient monitoring. We look at telehealth experience has changed even the patient's expectation on healthcare services, relating it more to a concierge level online retail experience, convenient, appropriate, and personalized. And in this growing RPM space, there's so many different forecasts when it comes to it, anywhere from US 150 billion by 2028 to an estimate of 40% of patients may be utilizing one or two of these devices at one time. But one thing is for certain, regardless if we are talking telehealth, mobilized health, or RPMs, the future of delivering healthcare is not confined to a, a facility. It will need to be patient-centered. So season four of this podcast series, Telehealth's Quantum Leap into Patient-Centered Care, talks to the innovators, which are the winners of the IEEE SA Telehealth Virtual Pitch Competition, the industry leaders, the clinicians, and other researchers who are at the forefront of driving innovation with solutions on accessibility, human factor design, flexibility, security, inclusivity, and any other necessary ingredient to migrate telehealthcare to a patient-centered care system. A short disclaimer before we begin, IEEE does not endorse or financially support any of the products or services mentioned by or affiliated with our guest experts in this series. And now it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Cheyenne Reyes, Senior Vice President and Medical Director of Clinical Operations at Teladoc Health. Cheyenne was also a judge and advisor on the IEEE SA Rethink the Machine, transforming RPM into a patient-centered care system virtual pitch competition. And he's also a participant in our Transforming the Telehealth Paradigm Industry Connections program. Welcome, Cheyenne. Thank you very much, Maria. It's a pleasure to be here with you and IEEE listeners. Before we get started to the core of the awesome work that's going on at Teladoc, Cheyenne, you started with a successful career as a physician and you transitioned to virtual care and IT design. What was the catalyst for this change? Being a critical care physician, I'm at the front line with the team, treating the sickest patients in the hospital. It's the most vulnerable time for patients and families. This experience taught me a lot about obviously medicine and really the patient experience, but also mortality. As we think about how technology transects patients, physicians, and clinicians, it significantly helps them, but it also can overburden them. Furthermore, critical care or even just bedside medicine is a model of one-to-one. -one. I deliver care, clinician or nurse delivers care one-to-one. -one. 
And that's not scalable. Even during my early training, when I was doing missionary trips, as a young clinician, I wasn't well experienced and I was still learning the art of medicine. I wasn't typically seeing bread and butter illnesses. And at this time, really started to begin valuing and using technology. Phones started having the capabilities of doing video visits pretty easily. And it's become part of our everyday life. That moment when I used the device to be able to call my mentors and my coaches back home during these trips, I realized this could be a catalyst. This could be a transition of how one-to-one -one can be one-to-many, how others can be impacted. If I'm in another world, uh, another country delivering care, and I'm able to connect the specialists and mentors back home, how can this affect the patient? Technology can redefine the world we live in. We've seen that with innovators like Steve Jobs, Bezos. Think about that with healthcare. There's got to be a way where we can take IT design and virtual care and just redesign the world that we live in in healthcare. Absolutely. I remember we were having a meeting one day in our telehealth group, and you just said something in passing, but it caught my attention. And I remember you vividly saying that tides have turned. No longer is the patient health experience like beholden to the times when you go to a doctor's office and you have to sit there for hours waiting for them to let you in. Like patients' demands are changing and they want that concierge level experience as they get with retail. So how do you see telehealth overall trying to meet that changing need? Patients are patients, but in this context, let's say the word consumers, right? So patients slash consumers, they're bringing their everyday expectations from other industries into healthcare. They're transecting their experience when they shop online or they stream a movie or even buy an airline ticket into healthcare and other industries. That experience that they enjoy and have the flexibility of doing in entertainment or shopping or whatnot, they're starting to expect that in everything that they do. When's the last time the listener actually went to the airport to buy a ticket? When's the last time the listeners on actually went to a store and rented a movie? That hall has changed even more. If you're outside of a very large city like New York, I'm in now. When's the last time you actually flagged down a cab or you drove to a restaurant to do carry out? Those things, they've revolutionized the world we live in. They can be done on an app or a browser. And that same consumer experience is what folks are craving when it comes to healthcare. Consumers slash patients, they don't want to wait in waiting rooms anymore. They don't want to wait six weeks for their PCP to send them to a specialist. Telehealth is just the beginning of this transformation. It allows that one-to-many that I described earlier. But more importantly, it's starting to meet the bend of what consumers are demanding. I think this transformation of healthcare is just getting started. The in-person aspects of medical care or going to the doctor will be held for the very few life-threatening procedural needs. I really believe that the tide has changed in that healthcare historically was built around the doctor, my waiting room, my parking lot, you're going to go on my terms, is changed to the patients. Patients now can schedule visits. They can go and look up what medical school I went to and what my press gainy score is. They can now shop around. And that power is obviously well-deserved. Consumers should know what they're walking into. They have the right to choose what movie they want to see. They can see the reviews and what others have said about it. The same thing should be in healthcare. The tides have changed. Absolutely. I think we get caught up in everything and sometimes we don't realize that because innovations are coming out so fast, we lose sight of the, some of these things. 
So Teladoc is one of the top 10 telemedicine companies founded in 2002. There's rankings all over on the internet, but it's always in the top 10. And that's 20 years ago. The world really wasn't talking about telehealth nowhere near at the level we do it today. And it's actually only the publicly listed telemedicine company. So obviously the pandemic catapulted the use of telehealth out of necessity. However, Teladoc was already on its way. You find that Teladoc's success is founded on its principle that it's a patient-centered platform. Absolutely. 20 years ago when Teladoc started, our physicians were actually breaking the law. We were taking the court and we ended up countersuing my home state, the Board of Medicine there. And we changed the way society and law looked at a physician and a patient relationship. We did that because it was all about patient-centered. We wanted patients to have access to healthcare 24-7 without having to leave their home. In my mind, that ruling and the fundamentals of our company changed the balance of the physician owning the individual patient. And it allowed now the patient to really understand and own their journey when it comes to healthcare, their choices, their flexibility. This is a transformation in not only just the law, but medical economics and the fundamentals for consumers. Obviously that propelled us to be the first publicly traded company and really the largest virtual company in the world. It's all about the patient. We have to deliver high level quality care. That's an expectation that is basic need in healthcare. Patients deserve to get the highest quality of care, but changing the principle around and delivering a platform that the patient can control was fundamental. I think often we see innovations coming out and it's all about, oh, the next best shiny thing and it can do this and that, but we lose sight is that we're still serving the critical need of the patient. And I think this is really interesting. So for all of you out there, Telehealth Doc, this was just released publicly. They signed a partnership with Northwell Health. And for those of you outside of the New York metro area, Northwell Health represents one of, I think is New York's largest healthcare provider. And the goal is to better provide access to virtual care across its enterprise. So we definitely focus on the patient, but one of the things when we think of telehealth services, we think it's easy, right? You just plug into a platform, turn on the mobile device and let's connect and obviously have the doctor patient experience. But Cheyenne, what are the considerations for the workflow from a physician's perspective that must be changed to accommodate this transition to virtual care? A comment on Northwell, they have one of the greatest CEOs in the healthcare world ever very great organization, over 18,000 physicians. They've been practicing telehealth for a long time. When it comes to accommodations to transition to virtual care, there are multiple consumers that are using the platform. There's the health system. So the administrators from the health system need to have data. There's the physicians and now nurses and, and all kinds of clinicians are working. So we'll, we'll use the term clinicians. And then there's the patient, there's the IT team. And so all of these consumers need to be thought of. So when we first started out, as mentioned previously, we built the platform really around the patient. But now there's multiple end users that need to be thought of. You got to think about those that we just mentioned. And in terms of thinking about how to transition everything to virtual care, the bar to virtual video visits is very low. There are many ways to do a virtual visit now. You can do it essentially for free now with, with any app to connect with grandmother or to connect with colleagues around the world. That bar is now very low. Everyone has a video platform. The bar to scalability is very hard. 
the bar to interoperability within multiple EMRs, being Northwell has 22 hospitals, 830 facilities, the integration in and out of the firewalls and in all the data systems that they're using, that's the hard part. And then when you multiply, we have over 600 health systems around the world that we work with. That is really hard. In terms of just the individual physician's perspective, has to replicate the in-person experience or has to make it much easier. Physicians are wasting a lot of time today with stuff that is not really adding value to the patient, the care they're delivering, or even the ROI that the health system is investing in. And so when we think about adding video conferencing, it's not just that. You have got to amplify the ability for folks to be able to practice at the highest level of their license. That's very interesting that you mentioned that because I was talking with Dr. Keith Thompson, who's also part of the telehealth program, and he said almost the exact same thing from a clinician perspective. As doctors, we're getting in all this administrative, outside of actual care action, helping the patient because of all these changes in workflows. And he was saying that this is where it's really important to understand what the doctor needs to focus on and what the patient needs to focus on, and then let the experts handle all that other stuff. Here's the reality, right? As an intensivist, I have a different perspective than an ambulatory physician. But even as an intensivist, I spend maybe 10% of my time at the bedside. The other 90% is I'm a data clerk. I'm entering data into an accounting ledger. It's not making the patient care easier. It's not making the care safer. It's really a billing machine. And when you talk to my ambulatory colleagues, they're doing the same thing, right? They're spending minutes. I think that the average family practice doctor spends eight minutes with a patient and they spend 30 minutes just charting and documenting and, and clicking here and there. As a consumer, I would rather a clinician spend 30 minutes with me and then the eight minutes doing the charting that adds no value to the system, but is where all the money in the transaction occurs. I'm sure patients would agree with you 100% on that point. Are you a tech startup wondering how likely telehealth is to keep its momentum in the next five to 10 years? McKinsey forecasts roughly 25% of the total cost of care for U.S. Medicare patients will shift to the home by 2025. And the remote patient monitoring market is expected to surpass $1.25 billion by 2030, according to MarketWatch. Despite how favorable the growth trends are, it's not easy to be a telehealth tech startup today. The ISA telehealth startup community is designed for technologists, entrepreneurs who have a proof of concept, prototype, or maybe an early commercialization of a technology product in the telehealth domain. The community offers tech and industry mentorship, partnership development opportunities, and the invitation to be part of a think tank to help drive trust and adoption of these technologies. Plus, you can earn credits to present demos and participate in virtual and face-to-face -face events hosted by IEEE's Healthcare Life Science Practice. If you want to join us and make this impact on the future of telehealth, you can join for free at isa.io backslash telehealth-startup. So... As we move towards greater adoption or use of virtual care, more acceptance, how do hospitals best negotiate the balance of patients' expectations for home care versus hospital facility care? They are significantly different, but we still have patients' expectations when they're not feeling well. So how does that balance work out? 
Maria, this is a great question. So let's take a step back. The origin of modern day telehealth started really with employers and health insurances. They wanted to figure out a financial way to lower the delivery of care. The emergency room versus a telehealth visit, significantly cheaper for everybody. Mm -hmm. significantly easier if you can get your symptoms uh, and your illness resolved that way. That's really where it started. It was really around the payers. Regarding hospitals, they get paid for beds and heads. It's a very common term. We're in a fee-for-service world, and the best way to get paid is when you have a head inside a bed. When you look at health systems like Northwell Health, Kaiser Permanente, Intermountain, they have moved out of this fee-for-service world where they no longer are getting paid based on every procedure they do. The fee-for-service industry itself has plagued healthcare. You go to a surgeon, they're gonna operate on you because they get paid that way. That's the way the model was. There was no value incentive for a surgeon not to operate on you. And so as we move from this fee-for-service world and to this value-based world, that's where we start to move the needle the financial incentives now to actually do what's in the patient's best interest, try to deliver on this expectation that consumers or patients have in home care versus hospital care. That's where we start to get to see the needle move. As more and more health systems start to develop MA plans and they start to take financial risk, they're starting to think about how they can move away from bricks and mortar care to virtual care. That's easier for everybody, it's cheaper for everybody, and that's how it's gonna happen. I think health systems are gonna have a hard time, to be honest, trying to deliver full-based virtual care when they're fee-for-service. It's not the same. It's dollars to pennies when you mm -hmm. see me in person versus you see me in virtual in that fee-for-service world. But in that value-based world, as long as I deliver the care, no matter if it be virtual or in-person, delivering that care is what it's at. Patients are expecting that virtual visit when they go to the doctor or they have a surgery and they want to do that visit. It's a standard that a patient expects it. But again, there's a balance of getting paid. And when health systems and physicians are getting paid more in person than virtual visits, then that's a challenge. It's hard to move the financial needle that way. But as health systems and CMS is starting to push really for this, value-based care will really exponentially propel telehealth and virtual care. I think that's a really important transition that I think the whole industry needs to better evaluate and keep an eye on. I often say, and I talk about this with many different volunteers that are here at IEEE, about the future of telehealth looking very different than it does today. And as a physician, why is it important to embrace the migration towards virtual care, the idea of bringing healthcare outside of the facility to the home? And can it really improve patient outcomes? Can it actually better serve patients across the board. Before virtual care or even telehealth or remote patient monitoring, the standard for any of us was to go into the doctor, the bricks and mortar doctor. What did we learn from that? We learned that those that had access got better care. The proof is here. Everyone knows about DNA and genetics and hereditary diseases. Today, 60% of health outcomes are determined solely by one thing. Do you know what that one thing is? Zip code. Interesting. Not your DNA, not how long your parents lived, not the cancers that are in your family, but zip code is the primary determinant of your health outcome. That's wow. fundamentally flawed. For those that live in a poor area, rural area, those determinants, what we call social determinants of health, access to fresh groceries, clean food, 
all of those things, high education, good paying jobs, those are all social determinants of health. But when it comes down to access and one's health, it was zip code. And so as we think about this migration of virtual care, no matter where you live in this country, no matter where you live in this world, you can get access to Mayo Clinic. You can get access to Kaiser, to Northwell, to all of these health systems. And that's changed the game when it comes to access. As we think about this embrace migration towards virtual care, I think the patients are going to get better outcomes. That's just the start of it. So there's factors out there like the digital divide. Not every American has access to high broadband, but those are being addressed. When we think about 60% of one's health is determined by just your zip code, we can change all that with virtual care. Wow, just the zip code. It's so astonishing to think about. And I think this leads to my next question on health equity, especially as there are marginalized populations without access to health care for a whole myriad set of reasons. But telehealth technically should reach those who are the hardest to reach. So in your view, how can telehealth equitably reach the patients who are currently not included in the healthcare system? What do you see as some of the challenges that need to be addressed so that telehealth could be maybe a viable platform to close this healthcare gap? I think this is the golden question that a lot of CEOs, health systems, and those in the ecosystem are trying to address. We mentioned one of those barriers is zip code, but also the digital divide. Almost two out of 10 Americans don't have access to broadband. Telehealth equity needs to address that. It's one of the main reasons that we merged with Livongo almost two years ago. Livongo was the first publicly traded chronic disease management company. What made them very successful and continues to help us grow is that all of the devices within that are sent to the patient doesn't matter if they have access to broadband or not. Why? Because they're cellularly enabled. There's cellular chips in the device, right? So glucose is checked for diabetics. The glucometer is the device that actually checks the glucose. Those devices have cellular chips in them. So we are automatically connecting these patients no matter where they are cellularly. As we think about those that don't have access, you gotta design it. We're talking to the future entrepreneurs, engineers of the world. You have got to think of the basic connecting blocks when it comes to patient care. And so that was an MVP Lomongo started to make sure that the devices were all cellularly connected. When you think about the scale of what we do at Lomongo, we are now able to predict what folks' glucoses will be or predict mental illness for patients. And so that's the full spectrum that needs to really be addressed when you think about a viable platform that can help close the healthcare gaps. I think that's really interesting. And I think you started the segue to my final question. You've given us so many great insights and talking to you is always, for me, an educational experience. Any final thoughts, Cheyenne, about what you would like to share with our audience as it comes to really developing virtual care technologies under this context of patient-centered care? Or maybe it's a call to action or a call to think about innovation in a different way. First off, Maria, thank you. Appreciate the invitation. I hope so far it's been insightful for your listeners. Here's my call to action or innovation. Spending in the United States healthcare system doubles every 13 years. The healthcare industry today is over $3 trillion. If we continue, we're going to destroy the economy. There will be no Social Security, no retirement. The investments that we're trying to make in our infrastructure, in our children's lives, that will all be robbed to pay healthcare. And so we have got to jump on this. I've never been more excited about healthcare and innovation 
I'm excited. I believe in Moore's law that technology dramatically increases in power and decreases in cost. And that's what gives me hope as you and I continue to age. And when we get sick one day, we would love that technology to be uber easy, right? Travis Kalanick with Uber, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Steve Jobs, they were able to transform the world we live in into just a new experience that 10 years ago, we wouldn't have experienced. I remember my mom would tell me, don't get into somebody's house that you don't know. We do that with Airbnb. My mom also told us not to get into a stranger's car. Now we're calling strangers to pick us up. And so if you think about how those transformative leaders really recreated the world we live in, I'd love for your listeners to stay curious. Think about equity when it comes to all people and don't accept the status quo. The way we do something today is not okay. Think about how you can transform the world. If you stay curious and you have that open mindset that you wanna help everybody, not just the financially well off, and you really challenge what we do, why we do this today, don't accept those things. So I hope that's motivation. And I'm looking forward to watching IEEE help a lot of the startups and entrepreneurs. And I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Maria. Thanks, Cheyenne. This has been really great. It's really interesting you mentioned the aging. We just started an activity for telehealth around robotics to support the aging healthy and system living for the exact same reason. I think we're expecting our aging population to outpace our younger generations for sure. Again, special thanks to you, Cheyenne, for joining me today. It's been an absolute insightful experience. Appreciate it. Thank you. And for all of you out there, if you want to learn more about Teladoc Health, you can visit Teladoc, T-E-L-A-D-O-C-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Many of the conversation concepts we had here today with Cheyenne are addressed in various activities throughout the healthcare life science practice. The mission of the practice is engaging multidisciplinary stakeholders and have them openly collaborate, build consensus, and develop solutions in an open, standardized means to support these goals around innovation that will enable privacy, security, and equitable, sustainable access to quality care for all. Programs such as Transform the Telehealth Paradigm, WAMI, which is wearables and medical IoT interoperability and intelligence, and a whole host of other things on decentralized clinical trials and digital therapeutics for mental health care. If you want to learn more about these projects and all these different activities, you can visit our practice website at ieesa.io backslash HLS. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to share it with your peers, colleagues, and your networks. This is really the way we get these important discussions out into the domain is by you helping us to get the word out. You can use hashtag IEEEHLS or tag us on Twitter at IEEESA or on LinkedIn, IEEE Standards Association when sharing this podcast. I want to do a special thanks to you, the audience, for listening in. Continue to stay safe and well. Until next time. On behalf of IEEE Standards Association and IEEE SA Voice, thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit standards.ieee.org. We hope you'll join us again soon.